Welcome to the Keeney Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Keeney is the Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water sector. Hello and welcome to our Kinney interview series. Today's Kinney interview is with Professor R. Quentin Grafton. Quentin is a professor of economics. He's also the ANU Public Policy Fellow, Fellow of the Asia and the Pacific Policy Society, and the Director of the Center for Water Economics, Environment and Policy at the Crawford School of Public Policy at the Australian National University. Yes, indeed, he is a policy expert. In April 2010, he was appointed the chairholder of the UNESCO Chair in Water Economics and Transboundary Water Governance, and between August 2013 and July 2014, he served as Executive Director at the Australian National Institute of Public Policy. He currently serves as the Director of the Food, Energy, Environment, and Water Network, and we will discuss that network and the other networks that he's involved in during the interview. Quentin has an abiding interest in the problems of the environment and public policy, especially in the over-exploitation and management of renewable resources, specifically around fisheries and water, and the economics of energy, and also the economics of non-renewable resources. In this Kinney interview, which was conducted my time at 6 a.m., so please forgive my wobbly voice, we cover a lot of ground. But... We come at things from a different perspective compared with the other practitioners that I've been speaking with over the last couple of months. Quentin leads us through his view on global change to address wicked problems, and he highlights the tension between the need for projects to be long-term and the fact that a lot of times we don't have that much time if we want to address many of the food and water challenges we face. He acknowledges that we need to let go of perfection and do our best to make incremental positive changes as rapidly and as sustainably as possible, particularly within whatever context we're working. He presents some tools emerging from his work and discusses their application in Vietnam and in the Himalayan basins. We also speak about his ideas for strengthening dialogue between water and the food production sectors, including a workshop approach that has had tangible results in bringing about collaboration and solutions for complex challenges. As always, resources and links and notes are available on the Kinney interview page, and you can find that at kinney.org.au. And with that, I would like to invite you to please enjoy this mind-blowing, far-reaching, and inspiring discussion with Quentin Grafton. So, Quentin, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us uh, with the Kinney interview series. I've I think you your experience represents a, a very interesting integrated approach to dealing with water with economics as a base and I think that some of your background and experience that you can share with us will be incredibly valuable so thank you um, I'm hoping first you can speak about your background and how you became involved in all things related to food water energy and the environment in particular with their policy and economic intersections yeah, very good question. So like anything, it has its antecedents way back, I suppose. I've always been concerned in, about the issues about the environment around natural resources. And of course, in Australia, we suffer from droughts uh, uh, occasionally, some very severe droughts. And so if you live in Australia, you can't possibly not be concerned about water at some stage you know, uh, when a, when a dry, drought hits. But also from, from flooding, we also have substantial flooding issues in Australia at certain times. So I mean, so that's the, the water motivation. The issue about engaging with public policy, engaging with decision makers, engaging around the nexus, food, energy, environment, water. Well, I think that probably has uh, its antecedents in the context of what was going on and in, in the food crisis of uh, 2008, 2009. You know, that was a food price crisis in the sense of food prices increased dramatically over a relatively short period of time. And then that led to the work done by the Foresight Group, led by Sir John Bennington and Charles Godfrey in the UK and others, supported by others, to deliver the perfect storm. And that perfect storm really 
took the, the next step in a summary synthesis and also in some original thinking to say, well, how, where are we going in the context of food? Where are we going in the context of key inputs into the production of food, land, of course, but certainly water. And they identified a range of risks that needed to be responded to over the coming decades. So I think that was an important report. I was there when uh, one of its releases uh, and then subsequently wanted to engage myself and, and to bring others on board to actually respond to those those risks and, and see what we could do. And that ultimately led in 2014 to a workshop that we had organized in Oxford. We, as in the UNESCO chair here of the Australian National University, organized in Oxford with some partners, obviously, at Oxford and elsewhere. And Sir John Bennington, who led the foresight work on the perfect storm, also joined us for for an afternoon. So at that point, we wanted to engage and say, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And and we wanted to think about where our value add was. And the conclusion by the group at that time was that we wanted to engage in terms of better decision-making in the context of Rick's risk and the, and the nexus. And that's pretty much what we've done. So that meeting in um, St. Margaret's College in July of 2014 then spurred a whole range of activity, which has happened in the last uh, you know, two and a half years or so. In particular, I can identify some activity milestones along the way but that sort of gives you a sense of the the motivation and and who we've tried to connect with and why we're doing what we're doing it's 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 interesting because you speak about the cycles of drought and flood yeah and managing risk you're trying to manage natural systems that are often that's right control so i I can speak to that a lot from the water Mm. perspective and how we have managed in australia has some great examples i think across the world everybody has a local example of how they do that yes but how do you approach that from the food security perspective as well taking into account all the environmental variables that are very difficult to control can you give an example please uh, look i don't think it's um well the way we've done it in terms of the so we created a network the food energy environment water network and going back as i said to 2014 we've engaged in variety of places in south asia vietnam and elsewhere in terms of coming up with processes that allow decision makers to think through the risks and then to uh, think about options and to respond to those risks, thinking of consequences and thinking of the, the sorts of triggers that lead to these risks. So that's essentially what we've been doing. So, uh, you know, how can that be applied? Well, it can be applied in, you know, you know, probably a thousand and one ways. We've applied it in the context of Vietnam and the Lam Dong province in the context of water security. So they, uh, you know, at the, uh, at the end of 2015, there was an El Nino event, as, as most of your listeners will be familiar with, that triggered issues in the context of water scarcity and then also consideration about what they need to do in terms of water and in particular food production. So what we did is we were it was a demand-driven process. They came to us. We then worked with them and engaging with decision makers and the stakeholders, so a participatory approach and also coupled with that causal risks by using the evidence that they had and then going back and doing additional work and analysis of our own and then giving them uh, the the set of options. So that really is a process that takes you from, you know, A to wherever you want to take it to, to hopefully, and in this case did, lead to better better informed decision-making. It doesn't guarantee good decision-making in any sense, but it certainly gives you a, a step in the right, uh, multiple steps in the right direction. And so that's that's the sort of stuff that we've done in the context of food and food security. That certainly had a food dimension in Vietnam. We've worked in South Asia. That's been on uh, uh, in relation to the Eastern Gangetic Plains. There's a whole set of issues there that have uh, related to resilience and the ability of, um, of the farming systems that they uh, that are uh, under multiple different types of farming systems how they can respond to a variety of, of shocks in particular climate change and the triggers that the risk that will, will come from that so so we were engaged in terms of looking at um, you know, conservation uh, uh, agriculture and sustainable intensification the so-called CASI, CASI and looking at those innovations and to what extent that uh, you know you can uh, 
they, they are resilient to what extent they they respond to 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 sorts of risks that 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 uh, that those systems have. So that that's still work in progress. But there again, we've adopted this this process, this risks and options assessment for decision making. It's an acronym which comes out as ROAD, as a process to 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 engage with with people and decision makers, stakeholders. Um, there again, there's no guarantee you're going to get you know you get you get an answer of 42. These are complex problems, and you you don't necessarily solve a complex problem. You you help to resolve it. And get understanding, and actually think about some some options and prioritization of actions, and and that's 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 what we're trying to do there, uh, in that context, and that's very much got a food dimension and a livelihood dimension to it. So, if a community, a farming community, because yeah. I really like the approach that this is yeah. indeed demand driven, a farming community identifies that they're having some difficulties given maybe climate change or yeah. something, they would collectively co go together and through their municipality approach whomever to get access to this kind of a roadmap and to engage in this process, which is it, from what you're telling me, it goes through all the ranks of governance. So, everybody is engaged. Everything yeah, that, is considered. I mean, it's well, huge. I, I, ideally, but of course, we know that that doesn't happen in reality. In the sense of, there's so much, only so much time given for this, this these processes, yep. and there's only so much budget. Um, mm. And so, you know, in the in that context, you 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 have to you, you have to cut your cloth, so to speak, to meet what needs to be done in the time and budget available. So. That means ultimately that you know, the corners will be cut, um, and that's true not just in terms of what we do in the road process, but it'll be true in any piece of work. You can't, you, you don't have limited, you haven't have a limited time and unlimited budget, no. so you actually have to do the best that you can. And in some cases, and in the case of the Vietnamese project, uh, we've had a very, very, very small budget, and I and and my colleagues have worked pro bono, yeah. so it would never have happened in. Because you know, if I would have charged my normal consulting fees, uh, um, you know, it just would never have happened. So, so you know, we've contributed and in, in, you know, helping the making the money go as far as we possibly could. So, it's spent as much as possible on on the people in Vietnam, and we've given our expertise in the terms of our time uh, uh, pro bono. So, so you know, you do the best you can with the limited budgets available to you. Yep. Yeah, it's like that in every instance, I guess. And a very, very, yeah, very exactly. small budget being zero is a, it's definitely a limitation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so in in that sense, I would I would say yes, it'd be great if we you know we 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 engaged all stakeholders. We had multiple engagement, you know, in the multi stakeholder processes. You know, you did all the sorts of things that you you know you could you could say that you've done and should do. But you know, I I'd have to be completely honest that you can't do all of that because of, as I said, the time and budget constraints. So you do the best you can. Um, and the point about it is, is, is really not achieving perfection because I, I, I don't think in reality you can achieve perfection and respond to complex problems. What, you, what you're doing is you, you're, uh, you're leading to a better set of outcomes that you would otherwise not have been able to do without this process. And, and I think that's the judgment call. Did we lead to some better outcomes, better decision-making that would not have happened otherwise? And, and I think that's, that's, that's the space that you have to operate in the real world uh, and so, you know, an incremental improvement. Sometimes it could be transformational. It's quite, quite possible. But, but it's, it's an improvement relative to what it would have been without it. And the Vietnam Project ended, I'm guessing, a couple of years ago then no Not no it's uh, it's it's pretty much ended i've got another trip there uh, probably in may to to conclude but we pretty much got most of we've got pretty much it all together um we've had multiple trips there so i would say in the next three months we can sort of sign off on it i would imagine uh the south asia project uh, that's still ongoing um i've got a trip to Kathmandu in three four weeks i think um to, uh, so that's an important workshop that we're working with uh, partners there, and uh, that should be should be finished by the end of June. So those are those are, in a sense, they're not complete yet. And then I guess the next stage will be some sort of monitoring and evaluation to track progress against whatever outcomes and all that. Yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You have to you have to follow through and you know what was done or what did it lead to. I mean, in the case of you know, if you're talking about a big system like the Eastern Gangetic Plains, I mean, you can't track everything. Uh, well, no, you can't track change over oh, yeah. a short time i mean this is you know we're talking more than 300 million people you know live in the uh, in the rural areas i mean this is a huge number of people so i mean if you're talking about you know any transformational change you you have to be talking in many many years you know that's the sort of time frame you have to think of it in a you know in a the complex problems that uh, that the people there uh, have to live with so so the, you know in that sense you can only look at you know a you know marginal change improvement of where you would have been without this you can't think about the the you know you, you can't measure the big picture change um and, and unless you've got you know uh, several years to to to, to track performance and everything is so contextual that a lot of those changes <laughs> can't just be flopped over into another basin it's um oh absolutely yeah i mean so so certainly we've learned that ourselves so you know how we've done the road process in vietnam is different to how we've done the road process in south asia um it's just a, a different context you have to do things differently and you have to do the process differently and yeah you you know you learn as much as you can from the partners you're working with get their advice and uh, and and then adapt um, so the process itself has to be adaptable, uh, and it is, and we've certainly adapted it in a different way in South Asia than in Vietnam. So um, that's that comes with what you need to do as well to, to be relevant and, and be effective. And I can imagine also that with the cultural issues and, and the complexity of the different areas that you're working in, you can't just measure food output as an outcome. You'd want to look at probably oh, yeah. overall health and nutrition and oh, absolutely. interaction absolutely. with land and water resources and vulnerable vulnerable people children women i mean you have to i mean this is uh yeah absolutely it's a it's a long term and a comprehensive type 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 of process yeah you can certainly you can certainly get cases where you know some people have yields gone up but some people are worse off i mean yeah. on the nature of the what the intervention is so yeah you have to be very careful about that and have to be as comprehensive as you can. Very interesting. Um, I'm also wondering if you can talk about key issues in your experience and also in your opinion based on your background that are emerging in the Asia Pacific related to water and where there may be either opportunities or possibly even barriers to addressing these kinds of key issues from the integrated perspective from which you work. Oh look, I'm I think the key issues have, have been are already out there, and I think people know about them, and they've certainly been documented. So, I mean, you you've got particular places in and it's a big area, of course. Um, you know, if we talk about the entire uh, Asia where, where where I've been working in the recent past, so you've got particular places where you know water is scarce at particular times in the year, some places all, all of the year, you also have water quality issues. So it's really a, a, a function of how much water is being used and when it's being used and by whom it's being used. And that is connected to, of course, to what, you know, agriculture in particular. So I would say that, you know, that's a, a sort of a, a burning issue right now is the water and agriculture, water and food production in some key areas. And so, you know, obviously I've mentioned the Eastern Gangetic Plains, but, you know, actually it's the Northwestern Gangetic Plains where it's uh, it's most evident. There's lots of documentation about groundwater depletion. There's a whole set of issue of water quality. There's, you know, it's a, it's a most certainly a complex problem there. And um, that's a, that's clearly a, a, a major, major focal point given the, the large population and the importance of food production in that region. But, you know, it goes beyond there. It goes to places, you know, it goes to, to the, the, the Indus and uh, in Pakistan, um, there are issues, set of issues, obviously in the in the Middle East that uh, related to, to, to water. Um, you go, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Vietnam, but you know, Vietnam is, is uh, facing a set of issues there in terms of climate change. So, climate change uh, is is relevant for all of those regions, but uh, it's a multiplier in the sense of the risks. Particularly, it's a surprising issue for for some. You know, Vietnam gets a lot of rain and has a major some major rivers, including the Mekong. So um, it's surprising that you'd be encountering. So some people, it's surprising that you'd be encountering water issues in a country like Vietnam. But 
but yes, they're absolutely there. And then, of course, you know how we use the river systems. You know, there's a whole set of controversies about the number of dams that will be built on the Mekong, the implications and consequences of that uh, for food production, but uh, but also for the environment. So you take the Mekong, you take the Ganges, you take the Indus, uh, and then you take groundwater aquifers uh, around those, those particularly in in, the, in South Asia. You've got a whole set of issues. We're talking, you know, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people um, that that are affected by water quality and water availability, and and the 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 the, the, the way to respond to that, of course, is to is to you know address issues of you know um, uh, intertemporal um, uh, context in the sense that if you can if we continue in business as usual, we're clearly going to. <laughs> Those places are going to, it's going to get worse and it's bad enough as it is. Mm. You know, the, you know, India had the massive problems in the last uh, 12 to 18 months uh, in, in a drought that, uh, that has now ended in most places, but, but just an amazingly number of problems and the Indian population is growing, at least in absolute terms, uh, uh, substantially. Um, so you, you have to respond to them in a variety of ways and it's not, you know, one of them is, is, is signals about, you know, uh, pricing the water uh, and then support for people who, who you know, who, who can be, um, who need the water and, and, and uh, make sure that they're not at the end of the end of the line, so to speak, especially the vulnerable. So they... There's a there's really a whole range of things that have to be thought through. It's not a it's not a single initiative. Um, it, it's a range of things that need to be done, and over a long period of time, you know, in the um, we in the West tend to think, oh well, you know, you let's let's do something in the next year or two, you know, and get, <laughs> or two to three years, you know, it's typically the planning horizon, and you know, in those sorts of places, you know, you, you need to have a decade plus long outlook about what needs to be done and how it will be done, how it will be financed, uh, and, and they're just the nitty-gritty implementation of what's, uh, what, what happens. And, you know, there, there's no it's, – it's, it's not like you can say in 2017, oh, this is what we're going to do from now to, to 2027 and 2037, and every step of the way is, you know, we'll do this in February – 2022 and then we'll do this in March of you know 2028 I mean <clears throat> this that's not how it works and that's not it would never work that way so all you can do is to say well, we've got a vision of what we want or what we don't want I suppose is the plus first place to, to start and then you work back and say well if this is where we want to be well how are we going to get there and you work back over the time frames and what's necessary what's what needs to be done and sequencing really a ladder of interventions and thinking about that, but but realizing that you know whatever you've come up with, <laughs> you know, is going to have to be ex- extremely adaptable to change circumstances and and barriers that you may not have thought through or worked through, and and then you need to think about you know uh, experiments in the sense that you know you want to try things out, see if it works in some locations, maybe it could be upscaled elsewhere, maybe not, you know, so it's um. And that's the sort of, you know, if, if you could do it, and, and no one's doing it, but if you could do it, that's the sort of a process you'd have to go through. And typically what is happening is that there are individual parts of that puzzle that people are responding to in a particular district or particular, even a state perhaps. But, you know, the collective comprehensive picture is, is, is just, well, sadly, it's just not, it's not, not, not happening. It's, um, you know, it, it's a, there is, it, it, it does exist at, at, a, at a basin scale to the extent that, you know, the Ganga has, is a major priority for the, for the for Indian federal government. But, <clears throat> but even there, you know, there's a, the sort of thing I'm talking about is not, uh, is not happening in an integrated way. Um, uh, but certainly there's, there's a, uh, an attempt to, 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 to move a, develop a set of processes to, to, to respond to the crying out need of what needs to be done. Yeah, so so I, I don't know. Go ahead. I, what I'm hearing is, okay, so we have sort of a, a lack almost of a maybe collective vision or a collective direction. Sometimes at the base level you have that, but overarchingly at the national level maybe something could be done to improve that you have um you need to embrace complexities and in that space work incrementally to move projects forward in a flexible way so that if something doesn't work okay we'll learn from that we'll move on we'll try something yeah. else um and then looking at 
solutions such as water pricing, water markets, but yep. not in a way that's exclusive uh, or that in a way that is inclusive and that is addressing some of the livelihood issues that might be uh, impacted as a consequence of s sort of an intervention that is around water markets. You're, so I'm just trying to summarize all these different points because it's like <laughs> just a million ideas coming at me. Um, but that I think that kind of ties it together. Yeah, look, look, I think so. So, you know, you know, I wouldn't be recommending water markets for, let's say, at this point, I don't know enough, so I, I wouldn't want to make a generalization for certain countries. So let me not name any particular country. But so, you know, uh, water markets have worked very successfully in Australia, but I don't think that they would work successfully in quite a number of countries. You don't have the institutional framework around that. Uh, and if you've got inequitable land distribution you know and power of relationships it's it's uh, you can see that you can get into a problem there when you have start to have water rights and the implications that that might lead to um, so so um, there again it's about adapting thinking about what work what makes sense but certainly from the water pricing context and you don't need water markets there water pricing you have to think this through if if there's too much water being used uh, and even that is been ha happening by you know even you know poor farmers you you have to say well you know that's groundwater and um, and there's only so much left um, you actually have to respond <laughs> you have to do something about that um, you you know you so I you know pricing water beyond let's say some given amount that's maybe free or low very low charge is clearly one one approach that would need to be considered it's one option on the table so to speak. Um, it can't be just be taken off the table. No, we can't have water pricing. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense when you've got a crisis that's already in place and, and unfolding. You'd want to have all the options on the table and think them through carefully and think about the consequences of not having water pricing, um, which, are, which are very severe. So, so those are the sorts of things I would... I'd be arguing for in terms of you know in terms of vision you know look I think there's certainly a lot of vision out there uh, you know uh, Prime Minister Modi has got a vision of for the you know clean the Ganga and all that and that goes back well before he was Prime Minister back to the 1980s and well before that I, I have no doubt but so so certainly there's there's vision and certainly they have budgets but the, the question is is you know how do you take take this what I call it you know people have called it and, it, and I think it's appropriate a wicked problem you know, as a not a tame problem uh, that, um, you know, is a complex problem, but is, you know, there's all sorts of complexities around it in the context of, you know, the trade-offs, um, disputes about the evidence, uh, winners and losers, uh, uncertainty of what are the actions will lead to. I mean, all those sorts of characteristics of, of a wicked problem. They, they're, they're, they're not the sort of problems that will get solved uh, you know, you you can help to resolve them, but they don't get solved by a particular intervention at a particular point in time. It's a multiple set of interventions over a longer period of time, um, and I think that's the way to approach this. And I agree with you. Um, the key point is that it's got to be an integrated, it's got to be adaptable approach, and it's got to really involve people. It's um, <laughs> it sounds sounds trite to say this, but it's true. I mean, you you can't have a resolution of wicked problems without having uh, people engaged in a consultative, uh, consultative way. It's just not going to work. Um, and although there are hard approaches, infrastructure can and, and has in the past, and no doubt would contribute to, to helping in terms of resolving some of the, some of the issues, uh, it can't be simply a hard approach. There have to be soft approaches, engaging with people. And, 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 and most importantly, and this gets back to the, when we started this conversation, is the issues of risks. You know, so you know, uh, too often I hear from people, oh, we can't do this or we can't do that. You know, it's just, just too, too costly. You know? You know, and and, <laughs> and then you know, you know, I do the analysis and say, well, you know, if you don't do something, <laughs> uh, there's some very, very big costs coming your way. So, so I don't think there's any choice. It's not like you know we can think about it for the next two decades. I think we have to do something now, and we we can't wait. We actually have to engage, and and we learn learn by doing, and 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 hopefully we'll we'll make make the right call and. We won't always get it right, but we'll learn from it, and um, and and then you know, hopefully, get to get get some outcomes for people, real people on the ground. 
but uh, it's it there's no there's no magic bullet there's no panacea uh it's not a easy uh, play, these are not easy problems uh, tame problems they're most certainly wicked problems but we cannot stand aside just because they're wicked problems uh, and not do anything about it. The consequences are very, very severe. I, I and I've done some modeling on this and, and others have as well. And the, the conclusions, I think, are pretty clear that, you know, there will be some very severe sets of issues for people in these locations. And they are not just restricted to South Asia and Southeast Asia and other locations, you know, within the next few decades. And indeed, in some of these places by 2030. So that's not... You know that's <laughs> that's just 13 years away. So you know we but the, we've got to um, we've got to grab the grab the bull by the horn, so to speak, and, and actually start acting on this. And my concern is that that uh, we're not that uh, we're not doing the right things. Uh, we typically using palliative approaches. We're using band aids. We'll fix this here. We'll fix the bit there. And I, and I I just don't see that as um, there's the, the what's required for this for the scale of the problem. It, uh, it just I don't think it's adequate. Do you think that the cause behind that is because of this? I'm thinking, don't let the perfect become the enemy of the possible. I mean, that might be one issue, but also we have quick political cycles that influence sure, funding, sure. that influence the all way of those, yeah, all of those all issues, that. all of those, all of those issues. I think irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, no question about it. And um, and you know certainly time frames are, are, are certainly part of it. You know you've got you know three years to deliver on a, a project. Well that's fine, but you know if you really want to if you really want to make a difference in the Eastern Gangetic Plains, you've got to be thinking decade plus sort mm-hmm. of stuff. You know, and there are funding organisations that are doing that. You know, so I'm not I'm not saying that no one's thinking that way, but but it's uh, not enough. Uh, so yeah, I think all of that all of the above, but. I, I'm not a doom and gloom person. I'm not going to raise my hands and say, oh, my gosh, you know, it's too hard, too difficult. Uh, there are ways that, that we can move this forward. And, you know, it's, it, it requires more than, you know, a few individuals. It requires, you know, obviously a, a movement for change here. But, but I think we, it's, it's, uh, we have to do it. And, and I'm certainly um, in some sense comforted and in some sense concerned by what happened with the food price crisis of, you know, 2008, uh, 2009, and obviously higher prices even before those years, there was a big shift in thinking at the very highest levels, which has led to a whole range of things, I think positive outcomes in the context of food, although you know, with prices declining uh, substantially since their peaks, uh, some people are back to, well, you know, business as usual, let's not worry too much. Um, so so I, I can see change does happen and I can see in the context of water that there is now at least the awareness that this is a major global problem. You know, certainly at Davos, for example, like the, the, the world's elite as they're called, but, you know, they, they certainly met there and uh, in 2015, you know, put, you know, water, water crises as one of the, the world's biggest risks going forward. So, so there's at least a recognition. Uh, uh, of that problem, and you know, if you if you go back ten years ago, people wouldn't weren't, weren't saying that. So, you know, yeah, it's you know, it's uh, it, it's a step forward, and uh, you know, first the recognition, then what do we do about it, uh, and then you know, make sure we get it right, whatever we do. Yeah, and and sometimes it does take. Unfortunately, it seems to take a crisis in order to trigger that sort of reaction. As we've sadly, seen recently in California. <laughs> sadly, that is the case. Yes, I, I think often that's the case that it requires a crisis to to change business as usual. You know, because you know if it ain't broke, if you think it ain't broke, then why will you fix it? And and typically the change that's required uh, is going to disadvantage somebody or other along the way. So um, you know, so there has to be some energy movement and motivation to actually bring about the change. Um, and so, yeah, as you say, it's crisis is one of the <laughs> one of the things. Triggers, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. So let's, um, you know, and there will. I mean, there already is a crisis. There's already a crisis in uh, in, in in these places. Um, so it's not like you know, it's not like we have we have to wait for it. It's just it's, it's going to get even bigger if we don't deal with it. Yeah, I think one of the uh, main issues that the water sector has identified is the fact that they don't know how to 
well engage with the agricultural sector, with the food production sector and the dialogue that's happening there. Yes. And I'm hoping that you have some insights or ideas or pathways or, I mean, there's no, again, no silver bullet. I know it's an incremental step, but I think it's a really important conversation. And as somebody who works at the intersection of both as well as other sectors, I'm hoping you can speak maybe to the water sector about how to more engage effectively with well, I think the water sector comes in different shapes and sizes. So you've got the water energy sector, and they typically don't engage at all. Okay, but you also have the the water sector in the context of, let's say, the urban, uh, you know, urban water utilities. They will, and there has been some engagement uh, with the agricultural sector in terms of the, you know, the requirement to to protect their water supplies uh, or even buy. Additional, get additional water from from our alternative sources. So I think there's some there's some realization in that front and uh, uh, connecting there. But I mean, I mean, how do you do it? Well, you know, um, <laughs> it's it's. I'm a great believer, not that I suggest it's a panacea or, or, or silver bullet, but I'm a great believer in what, what you know what people have been doing, and and you know I mentioned the foresight work with Sir John Bennington and the Perfect Storm. I mean I'm a great believer in the foresight type workshops. You know, um, they they they're not the end of this process; they're the beginning of a process, and and foresighting does allow you to to bring in different stakeholders and look through from their pers- different perspectives what what's going on for them. Can you speak uh, a little bit more about foresighting and uh, what that looks like? Um, <coughs> well, foresighting again can come in different shapes and sizes, but but really, it's um, it's setting out uh, um, uh, a range of possibilities into the future. So it's it's forward looking. It's not predicting the future. It's saying, well, if if we assume this or if we think this is going to continue, let's say business as usual, this is where we're going to end up. You know, and you go through the evidence and you back that up, and you know it's not just it, it's 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 clearly evidence based, and then um, you look at alternatives, and you and you get people to engage as well. You know what what can be done if if we think that's a problem, and typically with foresighting you are looking at a problem that's likely to get worse with business as usual. Then you engage about what do we do about it. Uh, you don't go in and say, "Well, we should do X, Y, and Z." You know, you, the people in the room, the people who are engaged in that, so those sort of processes, they themselves come up with what they think should be done. And, and typically, as I said, in wicked problems, it's not going to be straightforward. People have different views or competing views, but you've got to, you at least have to do do that that process to actually feel that you can make 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 headway, so to speak. And so I think that's I think it's an important way of doing and I think it has been successful and successfully done um, and then what we're doing in terms of this network the food energy environment water network that I'm a member of that we created in 2014 in Oxford that that has a a, a process to it a risks and options assessment for decision-making road that involves stakeholder participatory approaches and causal risk so there again you're thinking about you know what might happen given these sorts of actions what are the sorts of things that can be done so that's um as i said no 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 magic bullet but but those are the sorts of processes and i think you know certainly from our experience um, you know move us forward it doesn't take us all away but I, I those are the sorts of things i would i would i would suggest that that need to be done we have to do more than that but I, I think that's the sort of thing we need to we need to be doing so these workshops would be key stakeholders who are brought in sure. with with Absolutely. evidence-based scenarios that have been mapped yes. out and yes. discussion around those evidence-based scenarios saying x y and z could be the outcome of that in whatever context Correct. you're speaking and Correct. then engaging those stakeholders around identifying solutions based on those outcomes and those scenarios one at a time would it be one at a time or would you just kind of lay them all out and then just go back and I mean it's just I'm I'm really trying to picture how this works because uh, working with some of the other NGOs in the region this might be a great tool for them to bring people together and um, yeah and people have been doing that and uh, you know so they've been very there's another um, it's quite a bit different, but the idea of policy dialogues, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, that's the support for that from various um, funding agencies to do policy dialogues. Um, and, you know, that can incorporate foresighting with it, within it. But, yes, uh, you don't have to get everyone in the room and it doesn't happen at one, at one time. But it is a, it's a process that I think is useful to follow. 
Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, certainly when you have uh, these divides across different sectors, divides across stakeholders, it's a, it's a process. I, I don't think you've got any choice but, but to follow something like that. It doesn't, however, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but bringing people together, get them thinking about well, options and getting them thinking about where the future is going to take them. I think really it's, it's, it's really part and parcel of what has to be done. It makes me wonder why we actually have conferences in the current format that we do and why this isn't being incorporated into conferences, for example, when we have the right people there. Oh, uh, I, I absolutely agree I, with you. There are so <laughs> many conferences. I get so many invitations to go to so many different things. And typically it's you know a few worthy people, of course, but telling us what you know, X, Y, or Z is. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, they're not participatory in that no. sense. And of course, size is part of it, you know, um, but you know, it depends what you, the purpose of it, you know, if it's, if it's a conference of, of foreign ministers or, you know, or ministerial advisors, et cetera, to, to, to bring them together, you know, to make a decision or to make an announcement, that's one that's thing. One that's, thing, yeah. you know, but you know, I'm, I'm saying there are other things that have to be done. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, in food, and then water, and then across the nexus. So, a really, for example, a great way to do this would to identify key stakeholders, <coughs> say within a country or a basin, that are working both at the sort of water side of things as yes. well as the food yes, side of things. Absolutely. And then create a foresight structure where you have different scenarios and you play out those scenarios and discuss them, having those people in the room and identify solutions around that. That would be one way to sort of bridge that gap into, I, I think right. also join, join personal links because that's also essential. If, if one industry impacts the other and they're not able to just give each other a call or send each other an email and continue that collaboration because they haven't actually been in the same room together, that's a barrier too. So it seems like working through the issues together can also create some sort of social cohesion amongst the people in the room that can carry on beyond the foresighting. Be it's, it's a, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's that, uh, and that's what we. Um, in fact, next month in March, uh, we've got a workshop in Kathmandu. That's ex yeah, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> you know, so we'll see whether you know whether that happens. But that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's that, that's it exactly. And you have to. The numbers have to be. Of course, you have to be relatively small. You can't do this with hundreds of people at one time. You know, so you have to you have to work with relatively small numbers. You know, uh, thirty or so. Twenty people at thirty. Okay. 30 maybe yeah. A lot 30 of people and a want to get in. facilitators. <laughs> I mean, I'm just really trying to picture this. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much right. Yeah, that's that's about right. So probably more than that actually. You know, um, so I did one in Delhi, not quite the way I would have wanted it to, to happen, but we, we we nevertheless was was constructive and, and useful. And so you know, I took the lead on that. But I had um, one, two, three, four. Uh, four other people helping me because uh, we had breakout groups. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in fact, it was five. So the five of us plus someone recording stuff going. So you had five or six people actually working on that. So, and, and in a meeting like that, were you able to bring in expertise from other, oh, yeah. say, water partnerships? Because I feel like the, 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 the work that goes into that on the on the front end is going to be tremendous in terms of really getting that evidence together and being able to... Yeah, yeah, so, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of prep before you 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 run one of these, and you know I wish I had more time <laughs> to, yeah. to do the prep that was necessary or is necessary. But yeah, but you have to put a lot of time and effort on the prep side, preparation side. Very interesting. Okay, I think this also speaks to the next question that I identified about key mechanisms for influencing change and achieving truly integrated water management. Um, so I I don't know if we need to cover that. I want to move on and say is there anything else that you'd like to discuss or address while we have a little bit of time or you've covered a lot oh, of ground already yeah look it's look i i think one of the things i want to say is that there's there are lots of good people working on these problems it's not it's not like there's just one or two there's lots of good people working on them but i think that the, the challenge that we face is to is to actually think in a you know as you say integrated water resource management or you know in a in a you know in a water security framework as as the UN would uh, describe it <clears throat> those are the sorts of integrated comprehensive type approaches I think are lacking and I think they are in fact what we're required to 
to face these 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 uh, these wicked problems. So so we will certainly need to do better. And and but as I said, you know, I'm hopeful. I think you know the identification of the nexus issues that have come in the last few years. There's a number of things that I think we're moving in the right direction. My concern is that we're not moving fast enough. Uh, and uh, but you know we we just we just got <laughs> we just got to work harder and smarter I suppose but uh, so I, I think we're I, I think there's some positive things that are happening the concern that I have and others have is just the 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 the, 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 the necessity to do something do things faster than we're doing even though everything takes a long time. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, that's tension a, in the system there. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a real tension in the system. You know, it's, um, you know, it's a real tension. You uh, these problems have, uh, have taken a while to arise and they will take a, a, a considerable time to be, uh, to be improved on. So that's, um, and so that's why are, we need to, oh, sorry. <clears throat> go ahead. Although the, there are a lot of, amazing people doing excellent work in in these areas maybe you would encourage them to take a step back and consider a more integrated approach in order to engage with this in a more effective way or with that because uh, you're saying there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of really great work but it's yeah, not yeah. being tied together or it's not being fully integrated which is like in yeah, and of look, itself a wicked problem. So, yeah. So, 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 let me talk to something constructive and positive and optimistic. So, so the Rockefeller Foundation um, has set up the, a website called Zillion, okay, which focuses on resilient decision making. I just so launched a couple of weeks ago. Excellent. You know, but that's so. Yeah. So that's an example of where you're trying to get cross cross learnings from different places so people can actually you know not reinvent wheels um you know so they they're aware of that and they've certainly got a lot of traction on the issue of resilient and resilient decision making in the last uh, you know I'd say last 2 to 3 years so so I think those are positive signals and people are you know as I said recognizing the need for this um so we just we just have to you know where these things happen support them as best as we can mm. um um but yeah, so I don't know what else to say really. Then, than, um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> we in, in our network are trying to do that, and but others are as well. And uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed reading some of the blog posts and guest articles on the sites that you're associated with, affiliated with. I even listened to the podcast with one of your colleagues, uh, Karen Hesse. And, yes, um, really, the policy stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's a lot of amazing work going on that recognizes. Also, the psychology behind making change uh, that I really appreciated because you don't. You, a lot of times, you you find materials covering a lot of the tools and techniques, but there is a a people element, like you spoke of earlier, and the psychological element and um, looking at the social aspects is is really critical as well. So um, I will provide those links uh, to those different sites so that other people who are interested can also read them and engage with them. After yes. everything that we've spoken about, I'm wondering about the people who are listening who say, I'm really passionate about what Quentin is talking about. I really want to be a part of this movement. I want to become more informed. I want to join the tide of people doing the, the, the best practice in terms of making this change. And I'm wondering what advice you would be able to provide for those people or what direction or just gleanings of your knowledge that they could pick up. Look, uh, I, I think people can do uh, contribute in all sorts of different ways. Okay, so some people are busy. Some people have more money than others. Some people have, uh, you know, a, a ability to contribute directly in their own time. So I think there's a thousand and one ways people can contribute. The first thing I would say to them is to get get informed. Um, there's a lot of you know, <laughs> stuff out there, so to speak. So I would ask people to first of all, you know, from my own perspective, you've, since you've asked, you're asking me, yes. I'd say go to the uh, FE2W, that's the Food, Energy, Environment, Water Network website, uh, FE2W, and you will see in there a global food and water system platform. So it's free. We developed it for free. Anyone can use it free of charge. So um, it has a lot of time and effort behind it, but it, it allows people just to think and see uh, they can make their own assumptions about what might happen in the future in terms of crop yields, in terms of water use by, in crops, and then they can see for themselves water deficits, food surpluses, or whatever it is, depending on what they 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 want to assume by countries. So I, I 
I'd say that's a useful step for you to you know get in, engage that way. I'd also recommend global water form. You know, so if you've got a particular interest in water, and obviously your your listeners do have an interest in water, um, I would say yes, there are multiple websites to go to. But I would say the global water form—that's something we established uh, a few years ago—was is really uh, uh, as a depository of, of good information. It's gone through you know. A, a, some some pretty careful filters so you can be pretty sure the information up there is very much evidence based and based on written by experienced people who've got some insights so there's a lot of material there that you can draw on and uh, and say oh, okay this is what people are doing so i'd say that's the first step and the second step is then to think about what you as an individual or or groups of individuals can can do to support so it's uh, you know that's that's only You'd have to make that own, your own call on that, but but I think there's many things that 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 uh, can and can and should be done, and and one of them, of course, if you're living in a rich country, is to make sure your your um, you know that your uh, your representatives are, uh, are aware of the issues that you would have now doubt, no doubt be informed about that they you know they did figures in terms of their 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 thinking at some point or other. Um, I think that's important. Um, so. You know, uh, and then you can do more. There's a lot more that can be done, but uh, you can only do what's possible. Uh, but uh, I think the key thing, as you've pointed out, Karen, is that uh, we all have to do something. Uh, and um, if we were not not doing that, will lead us down a very, very unpleasant path. <laughs> so let's uh, let's avoid that. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time and for all this knowledge that you've provided. And um, I'm looking forward to joining the platform on your FE2W network site. <laughs> it's gonna be great for me also to learn a little bit more about the food production side of things and the agricultural side of things. So thank you and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Karen. And one thing I'll end you with as well, the row, the risk and options assessment decision for decision-making guide is available also on the website there as well. So if you want the guide of what we've done and how we've developed it, and, and if you want to take that and use it, it's again free to use and um, go ahead and do it because uh, uh, it, it's, it's what we've come up with so far and uh, welcome for others to, to take advantage of what efforts we put into to develop it. And it sounds like a really key framework or a roadmap, I guess, to just with the road acronym, I can't help myself, uh, yeah. to, to really get out there. And if it's free and accessible and it can be used and applied, then yeah. let's, let's do that. <laughs> That's something people can do too. educate yeah. themselves on the tools that are out there and see how they can apply them in the work that yeah. they're doing. Great. Okay. Great. Well, uh, thank you for the opportunity, Karen. Keeney is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Keeney connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at keeney.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more. <laughs>